Welcome to the Builders of Jerusalem podcast, a show that sits down with the top makers, shakers, and dreamers in the city, all working together to make it a capital of tech, innovation, and culture. It's a pleasure to be joined today by Yosef Kutman. He is a musician turned tech guy. Returning now, he's a musician. Um, welcome, Yosef. Thank you. Um, I want to speak about people who don't know who you are, um, speak about your, your life, your, your past, your career. Um, sure, yeah. I, uh, I grew up on a um, farm in South Africa, a uh, bit of a remote uh, space called Knoppies Lachte, which most South, Af- South Africans haven't heard of. I grew up there. I had fairly non-traditional schooling and, and all that good stuff, which uh, after the age, uh, after I quit skateboarding, mm-hmm. um, which I took pretty seriously, I started playing the bass guitar uh, at about the age of 16. Um, due to my environment, uh, I got into African jazz and gained some experience and tenure with uh, <coughs> some of the interesting African sort of jazz luminaries at the time. Uh, from there, I sent a demo tape through the Berklee College of Music in Boston. Um, I got a scholarship and off I went uh, to to Berkeley when I was 19. Uh, having been at Berkeley, I, I worked hard, um, practiced hard, and um, continued to develop my interest, passion in improvised music and jazz. At some point after that, I uh, went to New York to play, to continue to continue playing jazz and developing. At some point in New York, I became disenchanted with, with jazz and music, and I put my bass away. I taught myself how to um, code HTML and CSS from a book. It took about two and a half weeks before I was lost interest in the book and started just sort of uh, copying websites, uh, looking at the uh, source code and just trying to make my own uh, stuff. At some point I thought that I would make a website for for musicians. Um, I got married in 2006. So just to give a bit of a chronology, Berkeley was from 1998 to 2001. From 2001 onwards until, say, 2005, I was trying to find my place in the New York jazz scene. Uh, I got to play with some great players and got some good experience. And at some point I came to uh, Israel. I came to uh, On Birthright. Mm -hmm. And when I returned around 2004, 2005 I uh, decided to uh, put a keeper on my head <laughs> which uh, was kind of um, funky in terms of the, the jazz scene over there and uh, I was also working in restaurants to support my jazz um, aspirations and uh, having gotten married uh, while I was kind of figuring out the whole uh my parnasa, my income was very, very, very low. I was working really, really, really long hours, long days at restaurants. Um, I did get a interesting break in 
playing with email right before I decided to te my, teach myself software, where I decided to create a music production company, uh, which was moving from jazz, artful music into commercial music. Maybe there money lay, and uh, maybe I would have some access to you know, more than, say, $25 or $50 for some jazz gig at some jazz bar. Mm -hmm. Um However, creating a South African music, African jazz music commercial production company doesn't seem like the shrewdest idea in New York City where, mm -hmm. you know, I'm looking to create music for ads. The funny thing is at that time, it seemed absolutely obvious to me. It could be Ashkaha Pratit, I have no idea, but nobody in their right minds would create an African jazz commercial music company and then start to promote themselves to every creative director. I bought a list from Adbase, which sold lists of creative art buyers. Um, put myself into a little bit of Amex debt to purchase the list and started emailing them using a Mac software called MaxBulk, which was kind of before a schnook could really do email marketing. You know, when was this? This is like, this is a while ago, 20, 20 years ago, a little, little bit less, 19, 18 years ago, where uh, email software, commercial email, was a little bit less accessible for the really tiny, non-existent business. So um, I was sending some emails about 50 an hour, whatever the Gmail email service would allow. And after about a month of doing this, keep in mind, I had a, I don't know, maybe three or 4,000 emails to send, creative art buyers promoting my music production company, which I was also working, my brother had gone to Berkeley and was doing it with him as well. But I was the sort of business, while well, he was working at Starbucks, I was trying to develop this music business uh, thing. And out of the blue, Oprah Winfrey, the Oprah Winfrey show called, said, we need South African jazz mm -hmm. for a commercial music project. To me, this didn't seem outrageous at all. It's like, well, obviously, I mean, who wouldn't want South African jazz for their, <laughs> for their uh, music project? And I created a uh, a score for a film that she was doing in South Africa for a school that she'd invested in, and they didn't accept any of the music. It was too South African. It was too authentic. It was too, and it was a great job. Like I got the guys from the Paul Simon band, and like really put together some authentic sounding music but it was a little bit too authentic for the uh for the listener and the oprah show asked me to do some other music they gave me more creative direction and i ended up doing music for the show for about a year it was hard for me personally because it wasn't art music that i was used to it wasn't really my music my soul music and i then went into software at around 2006 mm -hmm. with the teaching myself, starting with a product that didn't quite work to help musicians book gigs. Mm -hmm. I created a way to create a like, online press kit, dragging biographical details into a central uh, column and uh, bios, videos, photos, text, images into a central column and then calling that an online press kit so I could send it to, or a musician could send it to venues to book them. Mm -hmm. <coughs> um, at some point in my process, which is a very interesting journey in and of itself, the creation of the startup with very little investment and in a time where I, it was there was no money and I was going against constant contact, eye contact, MailChimp, you name it, um, how I was going to 
create a product that was going to vie with these um, with these much more developed mega businesses. You know, obviously it's all relative. Back then, Mailchimp was not as big, and Constant Contact was not as big. But we're still talking about you know millions of dollars in revenue. Yeah. And um, moved to Israel, two thousand and nine. Uh, built most of the company out on the uh, bench outside of Nocturno in mm-hmm. the center of town. Um, and Y Cafe also. I built a lot of the product out over there. Um, at some point, I was managing. Uh, tens of full-time employees and uh, more or less same amount of contractors specialists our database uh, was uh, running on many many machines because the business was a very active email business got into email from the musician thing Mm -hmm. uh, with the creation of mad mimi um it was extremely organic the whole growth one day one customer another day or the next month two customers the next month three until uh it eventually became part of godaddy in 2014 they acquired it yeah oh. they acquired it um and it got uh good nps scores really really high and uh, re- higher than apple higher than amazon um, the entire marketing system that I built was not actually any paid marketing. I invested in the customer services marketing engine with a s- something called a surprise and delight strategy, which uh, GoDaddy also uh, uh, sought to adopt when you know after the acquisition. And um, living here in Israel, building a company that operated in 13 different uh, U.S. states and six different continents with staff members in all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last highlight, I think, of the uh, <coughs> that business was the fact that everything was text. Nobody saw each other. There was no team building. There was no video chat. There was no voice. There was no nothing. The company was very, very, very lean. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, It was profitable from day one. Well, not day one exactly, but day one when it established itself as a business, probably a year into its uh, right. lifetime. Um, and then in 2019, I got back into music, decided to shift completely back into uh, creating improvised music. And now I'm working on a record label to establish a competitive music product record label that competes with the best of the European labels mm-hmm. in terms of contemporary jazz and classical music called soul song records where i want to bring jewish substance into a um, musical container musical vessel that is um, both lucid and magnificent and colorful uh, that a european ear and a uh, worldly ear can really appreciate and enjoy i feel like nigunim are very deep and, and wonderful, simple melodies, but have lacked the expression, the, the, the just the range of expressive uh, opportunities that we can really now um, offer them, particularly with the uh, improvement of performers here locally and sure. all over the world. There are some beautifully, beautifully talented Israeli and even non-Jewish performers who are... Um, 
uh, appropriate for you know the label so that's what i'm working on now and also the label's primarily producing my own records mm-hmm. um which uh, there's been about eight uh, s- six or seven of right now and another uh, few in the uh, pipeline um yeah that's basically my story that's where <coughs> we're at today so the music <coughs> the music you're making now is uh south african jazz or the music that I make always has a little bit of a South African color to it. Okay. But yeah, it's um, a kind of uh, some of it's Brazilian, which is another type of uh, musical uh, language that I um, gravitate towards. I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's a mix of contemporary jazz, Brazilian, South African language, uh, Middle Eastern stuff as well, um, Moroccan, mm, um, Iranian stuff that I kind of compare it to maybe like um, you know one might ask somebody if they like Merlot or Cabernet as a wine but if you're kind of looking at who the winemaker is mm-hmm. uh, you can enjoy a somebody is partial to say Cabernet but it's a magnificent winemaker creating a Merlot right. then it's really less about the grape and more about the the art so I am seeking and always looking for connections with great players people who have something to say on the instrument mm-hmm. and um, bringing in a mix of languages South African and everything else that I find here Yemenite and the the whole the whole palette the whole spectrum of what's available here in Israel mm-hmm. cool to go back to the business so it was an email marketing platform yeah so how exactly did it work so a customer, small business would sign up. They wanted to create a rich looking designed email newsletter. They would uh, use a non-template approach, this kind of column based approach, drag and drop sure. um, to create a simple looking email newsletter, send it out, track it, and um, hopefully uh, succeed um, mm-hmm. to sell a product or two from the, uh, the email marketing that they did. Cool. So what did you do from that uh, period of 2014 selling the company to 2019 getting back into music? I tried a few different companies uh, at the beginning right after selling the product to, um, you know, I worked with GoDaddy for a while on their product team. Okay. (coughs) While I did that, I was also developing an AI chatbot that um, was not successful either because i was too split up with my time it was a little bit too much ahead of its time i think now is really the right time for ai chatbots to really uh, be useful Mm -hmm. just because they're it's the uh the market and the collective consciousness of humanity is just ready for chat gpt and and friends Mm -hmm. um I was a little bit ahead of that uh, with natural language AI, um, not to my, not not to aggrandize myself. Actually, the opposite. Um, I my finger was not quite on the pulse of I don't think the uh, what the market needed. I kind of felt like I was inventing interesting technology, uh, but not really solving a problem. And then I tried another product after that, an e-commerce product, and I realized that in order to sustain an e-commerce platform, I would it would require holding a lot of revenue, sort mm-hmm. of, uh, in order to just generate a small amount of profit. And I asked myself if it was really 
worth it. And kind of my dad said to me something wise at one point. He said that um, you should always ask yourself when you're creating a new business, is uh, is it harder and less profitable than the one that you're moving away from? Mm-hmm. Or is it easier and more profitable? Mm. So my answer in e-commerce <laughs> was that it was definitely harder and much less profitable than yeah. my Mad Mimi email marketing business. It was completely digital, didn't require shipping, didn't require physical goods, drop selling, the whole thing. And then I... Um, met a, uh, a wise sage who, when I asked, what should I do now? He looked at me as if I was crazy and said, do music. <laughs> and I decided from then, in 2019, to, to do music after a number of uh, attempts at creating other technology products that were not as right on as the Mad Mimi product, which is also, you know, came after a number of other attempts at different businesses and different ideas. So I guess like in typical entrepreneurial, um, sort of statistics <laughs> you got to try a bunch of stuff before one thing can be you know a success it's not that there's no formula and it doesn't matter how wise or how creative you are mm-hmm. it's uh, there's no formula for success because the uh, there's too many variables and too many conditions that have to be right for something to catch right for sure so wait, so you moved here in 2009 right yeah you moved directly to Jerusalem or? yeah to Nachlaot and you've been you've been there since. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, why did you pick to move to Jerusalem specific, specific, specifically? I think the um, the spirituality was um, a draw. I wanted to. <laughs> I was interested in developing my uh, my spiritual side. I was interested in the transience and the dynamic demographic that is found here it's it's very mixed it's very very cool very transient i like the the fiery nature of jerusalem for me it kind of reminded me a little bit of new york um in a real sense in in the this the soul of new york not necessarily in a you know what what the outside of new york looked like which might be a little bit more like tel aviv or whatever mm-hmm. um Somebody who I was learning with also su- suggested Nachlaot, a place with hippies, kind of toned down, cobblestone streets, Jerusalem stone everywhere, lots of different cultures all living together. It's uh, really interesting and inspiring. Do you see that? I mean, you, so you grew up on a farm. Yeah. So, I mean, what's that dynamic having grown up in a very rural setting to being, well, you're in New York City, which is very, very urban. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, Jerusalem's a city in itself as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> I, I enjoy every moment of it. You know, growing up on a farm until I was 19 in South Africa is not the easiest thing in the world. It's not uh-huh. like, you know, going out and like romping in the meadows. There's crime and there's, there's, there's fear and there's break-ins and there's oh, squatters wow. and there are so many... Um, in Yiddish, they might say spitzim, like little thorns everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the animals are great. They're, it's awesome. South Africa is such a beautiful place. Good world. Awesome vibes, you know, but the crime is rough. Mm. And going to New York and Boston, there's like no crime. <laughs> and well, There's a lot of crime. But compared I guess compared to South Africa, it is like a big sigh of relief, you know. <laughs> wow. um, it's not the same. It's just not, it doesn't compare. 
Hmm. It's probably like being in Rio de Janeiro where you can get mugged at every, you know, every juncture, every moment. Like just right. what I've seen and what I've heard. Like Rio is not a simple place. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of petty crime there. Uh, it's a third world country. It has that kind of vibe. So that vulnerability was uh, relieved when I went to New York and being here in Jerusalem. I love the city. I love people. I love the movement. I love mm. the action. I love the fact that things don't sleep. Um, and on the farm, you know, at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., when the sun goes down, like, it's nighttime. There's no lights. There's no... Right. It's dark. People are sleeping. So you see, you see yourself staying in a city setting for... Yeah, maybe when I'm 75 years old, I'll decide to go to some sort of sleeper town, but <laughs> there's stuff for me to do here in the city. Yeah. There's relationships to be made and there's connections to be made. You know, I'm not looking for a quiet life. I'm looking for... I'm looking to be manifest. I'm looking to find my, find my, you know, what did God create me for here? To to create and to make connections and to, mm -hmm. to develop through all those connections. For sure. So I mean, so how do you see the so the city of Jerusalem specifically playing into your mission into your? It's a great question. I think that <coughs> by virtue of the fact that. Jerusalem is such a melting pot of authentic cultures. Each one of them is, uh, you can be comfortable comfortable here. The fact that Jerusalem is like, it has a spark. Um, it's both urban and it has a dimension of calm and quiet guess you know even the street over here you know you walk out of here you don't you feel urban but there's something there's there's, there's something breezy about it um, <coughs> there's a lot of hidden gems around Jerusalem it's a place where it's small and there's lots of big surprises everywhere it's a place where people come to search for something they're searching for something. They're searching, ideally, uh, you know, they are. I mean, nobody arrives in Jerusalem, stum, like mm -hmm. randomly. It's a place where you're, 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 you're intending to live or intending to be for a particular purpose. Obviously, there's a lot of students here and people are coming to learn and study, whatever. But when you're a little bit older, when you have a family and you're deciding where do you want to live, what culture do you want to purvey, what, what do you want to bring to your kids, what do you want to bring to your family, like who do you want to be? Uh, Jerusalem offers offers a lot of authenticity. It's not trying to be anything or anyone different. It's a city with a unique character, and it's true to itself. Um, Jerusalem helps me. That gives me inspiration, so I value that. Have you brought artists from outside of the city, outside of the country in, to Jerusalem? Yeah, 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 I have. Um, that's a great question as well. A uh, great jazz guitarist who I absolutely adore, Lionel Lueke, who's originally from Benin, West Africa, spent time in France and is uh, part of um, Herbie Hancock's band. He lives in Luxembourg right now. Um, an album that's being released in a couple of weeks uh, is with him. Um, he came in to record. Gilad Hexelman, another great jazz guitarist from New York, born in Israel. Um, mm -hmm. 
he he was here recording an album. Jonathan Avishai from France uh, was just here a couple of weeks ago recording an album. And um, the only Jerusalem player that we've done a lot of work with, together with you know my, myself and him together, uh, really really some some beautiful project is Omri Mor, a uh, superb superb local pianist. He lives in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> so yeah, yeah, Jerusalem just happens to be where where my recording happens. But players come from everywhere, and I want to certainly expand that to to all over the place. Um, having players come from all over Europe and and wherever to come and record here. And so the idea of your of your studio or your um, your record label, it's. I mean. It, is it to be? I mean, just to find the find the best talent and put out the best music, or what's like the? It's to find the best talent and to put out this um, m- my own vision of what I feel that um, Jewish music could sound like, uh, which is always developing. First of all, it's always developing. Um, but with good talent, uh, ideas that I would never have thought of constantly come through, and I, I'm effectively producing the producing the music, producing the sound. It's still very undeveloped, and in the next say a few years, I think it'll 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 start to take more of a clear form. But right now, um, it's to get talent that is capable of really. Um, expressing themselves through their instruments, staying instrumental, and developing a sense of space, a music, uh, especially in contemporary jazz and classical music, where there is a lot of superficiality. Um, I want to find a jazz... Uh, contemporary music, contemporary jazz and classical voice that's more humble, more spacious, more toned down, that doesn't quite, uh, that doesn't allow the hands to run rampant or the ideas to kind of be overly self-centered or or, or kind of a a lot of that music that's technical can become egocentric very quickly. And I'm trying to move away from that, and mm. and and in that to bring a percentage, a material percentage of nigun, of nigun and and piyut, whether it's Andalusian um, music, there are so many incredible Jewish melodies that are untapped, um, and and I'd like to bring them out. I'd like to bring them forward in in a in a language that. Is pleasant to the ear. So, in a, this t- project, what does success look like to you? <clears throat> I keep asking myself that question. Mm-hmm. Financial success um, is where I look. F- well, not first, but it's a. Uh, to me, I think when somebody pays for something, it means that it's important to them. So that's success to me. Uh, music is hard to sell. It's hard to create and sell, especially on a high level. Uh, today, right now, in the beginning, I think music as 
a music label develops, I still have a lot of learning to do, obviously, in the uh, the music industry and building a label. But as, uh, you know, I'm looking 10 years ahead, 15, 20 years ahead. I'm not looking at today. I'm looking at creating a very high quality catalog with uh, consistent sound, a consistent vision. And I do believe that if there's something that I love to listen to, chances are that other people will also like to listen to it. Hmm. It's kind of the same thing as my technology company. I built it for me. I didn't build it for the world. So I'm building this music label. I'm creating myself a catalog of music that I can have playing in the house all day long that doesn't shake me up, that doesn't shout at me, that doesn't take too much space, that isn't um, full of superfluous notes and superfluous ideas. I'm going to try to hone in on things that are simple, with a lot of space, with a lot of color, that bring out the musician's (coughs) deeper song, and success right now means that I come out of a recording session and when I play the material that we recorded, it gives me a good feeling inside. Mm. And it's a war zone to record an album uh, in a short period of time. I have a sort of strategy of a three-day recording um, with very little music, uh, no rehearsal with um, music being arranged, composed, and perceived before that. But we're coming in, and in the studio, interesting things happen. I try to allow the music to happen in the moment, try to capture that, to play the music live together versus a bunch of overproduced overdubs. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a beautiful large room with a six-meter high ceiling, um, and that's where that's where the magic happens. And to capture the emotional connection between the players. It's not unique. I mean, it's a recording technique that's used by a lot of talented um, uh, creators. So success looks like coming out of a recording and I'm feeling <coughs> I'm feeling the joy and the con- con- connection between the mus- among the musicians. Uh, success is that I'm feeling joy <laughs> in the music. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's not hard to get joy into contemporary music, uh, classical and uh, and jazz. A lot of the music is dark in color. It's uh, it it it's not joyous. But joyous music, you know, you don't want it to be honky tonk and like umpa umpa or like you know, superficially joyous. You want it to be <coughs> a deep inner joy. Mm-hmm. So how to get that? That's success for me. This is success for me is also lucid sound quality, beautiful. Uh, beautiful, beautiful records that sound timeless and um, and uh, magnificent. And the last s- piece of success, which I think is the most important, is the expression of the music to the outside. The way the music gets from a record to people's ears. How that grows, how that develops, what strategies are there, you know, what streaming means for the world and what physical, you know, sales of CDs and LPs, believe it or not, like there is an active uh, market for CDs and LPs, still particularly LPs uh, mm-hmm. when you're looking at France, Japan, Germany, um, which is right now the, the strangely enough, the meat and potatoes of my market. Um, and success is reaching those people with the property, the appropriate amount of community development. Community development is a big part of the label and the vision is to develop 
develop community around music. Music is a, a very powerful tool upon which community can develop. Musicians have fans. You know, f a fan base is a community. So allowing a community to develop around this concept of, you know, even if I say Jewish nigun, it sounds a little bit too uh, overt. I might even phrase it as traditional substance mm -hmm. that comes out of this, you know, this uh, where where we're at, this this Jewish consciousness, traditional substance. So building community on that is something that if it's successful, if the community grows and develops and it's, there's a lot of, you know, I'm not making the label for Jews, I'm making it for, for the world. Mm -hmm. And so far, there's a community of people in Italy and Japan and, and France um, starting to trickle in around the music. And that for me is really, really, really interesting. Wow. And so, so since it's Nugunim, it's, it's not music with words, it's music with Melody. Right. Yeah, it's melodies <coughs> and, yeah. Instru and instruments. Yeah. So, like, I guess since it's jazz, trump, trumpets, and... Right. So, in jazz today, you know, I'm using the jazz in the context of contemporary jazz, where any instrument really is uh, can go. You know, there's a bunch of phases of jazz from swing to bebop to post-bop to modern jazz, um avant-garde jazz, free jazz, Swedish jazz, German jazz, you, you know, e each one has their... Jazz to me means, uh, when I use the term jazz, I mean improvised music. Mm -hmm. And when I say improvised music, it means that that a lot of the way the music is played happens in the moment. It doesn't come preconceived. It doesn't come overly practiced and rehearsed by the time it's you know recorded. For a great improviser, certain melodies only come down in the moment, and they don't exist without that moment. We can't uh, working with working with a good improviser. Such magic happens, and the music is so in the moment that that spontaneity and that surprise and that level of um, mastery really comes out. And that, mm -hmm. for me, is the is the, the 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 high of the of the music. Uh, so in jazz, our last albums, I, I work with a lot of piano and guitar. Mm -hmm. Those instruments are um, um, commonly played. Therefore, there are a lot of uh, great players that play them. Our last album with Yonatan Avishai was with uh, Yagel Harush playing Kamanche. Comanche is an Iranian kind of violent thing, which has like a bulbous um, body and a uh, thin stick, which has like uh, four strings. Mm -hmm. And um, mixing different instruments. Uh, I've only worked with trumpet one time. Most of the time it's trios and, and more uh, sort of, uh, yeah, instruments like piano, guitar, Comanche cello, contrabass, which is my instrument, mm -hmm. bass guitar. It'll be really cool as I develop to find little gems here in Israel of instrumentalists that play uh, stuff that's a little bit, you know, outside of the uh, the norm. Sure. Um, also focused on good percussion. There's a lot of great percussionists here in Israel. Um, 
so yeah it's hard to describe what the music sounds like but anybody can go on spotify to yosef goodman and you know listen to any of the catalog and kind of communicates what what i'm trying to do here um even though it's still at its infancy and so you're getting physically involved playing music on all these records or right now i'm playing music on all the records um i'm also co-composing uh when it's not the nigunim uh co-composing um pretty much all the material with uh, a producer a close friend of mine co-composer gilad ronin who lives in tel aviv we were roommates in berkeley we've been working together for a very long time very very talented um musician and writer so we uh we write material together gilad arranges it and um we go into the studio i happen to be playing on the albums and these albums right now the, uh, my first litmus test of the al the, the, the label is is uh, my name mm -hmm. because uh if i can't make it work for myself i can't make it work for other people so i'm first kind of using the label as a vehicle to uh, establish a musical vision a musical entity and once i know how to do it for myself uh, i'll do it for others I do have a record coming with omri more um, in the next couple of months which is called melodies of light which is the first album in the label with uh, somebody else as the leader um, mm. it's a beautiful beautiful album with omri more and ofi nehemia is a great a local drummer uh, actually lives in New York most of the time and um, th that's going to be that's going to be the first album so working on promoting that and you know doing the press uh, and uh, hopefully there'll be there'll be a number of uh, new artists um, coming on the rest of the year I'm kind of putting aside to discover um, new artists around you know ideally Jerusalem and further afield uh yeah to to develop and try to create something in line with the vision so would you say that the vision is to create i mean you mentioned all the different styles of jazz to create you know <coughs> jerusalem jazz or you know your own genre within yeah, the field to create my own you know ultimately if i was ready to just like hone in and simplify the vision i do want to create a new genre of music mm -hmm. a genre that is um a new genre of Jewish music that's never existed before. That's not jazz. It's not classical. It's not. It doesn't sound like the Jewish music that we're used to. It's a. It's a new genre of lucid, rather ambient, yet music with a strong melody that is identifiable, and singable and lyrical music that's positive and joyous, music that's spacious and ambient and humble, and Jewish, yet. If it's being played to a critical listener in uh, Europe or Japan, it's the music attracts. It feels good to listen to, and it and it sounds uh, and it sounds delightful to the ear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, broad appeal. Yeah, broad appeal. Super cool, super cool. Um, so I want to go to on Jerusalem specifically. So you mentioned, you know, in the city. These little like nooks that you find. What are some of your favorite places um, for people who are don't live here? Maybe live here, haven't been exposed to them. People from outside the city. Um, th I like my uh, 
some of my favorite places are the um, I'm always discovering different ones I recently found a uh, a cistern under the house under my house the four meter deep scary dark <laughs> like um, crevice whatever you you know and um, cleaned it out got rid of all the muck and the water and now it's a uh, it's an underground pool nice <laughs> so I filled it up with rainwater um, officially a mikveh <laughs> um, I love that place it's it's amazing it's awesome there are interesting places around Akhlaat there are a couple of uh, wells or underground mikvaot that are actually fresh water from uh, from an underground river Meitahom in Hebrew uh, spring water a couple of natural springs around Akhlaat around Akhlaat yeah th- that, that's, that's cool the water's cold but it's insane to mm-hmm. find a natural spring in the middle of the city. Um, I really like where I daven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like the, the, the shul on um, Sharizli Street. It's this tiny little shul that just is full of light that's old and special and sweet. It's called Beit Chabad on Sharizli Street. It's um, it's not what you might think. It's like this uh, quaint. It's extremely quaint and very sweet, and you can disappear over there, and feels like you're in another universe. That's what I really like about Jerusalem. You can find places that transport you into another space. Sure. I like the shuk. Restaurants, cafes, or. I used to go to restaurants and cafes a lot more. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I I've been enjoying the simplicity of you know simple food and and uh, my wife goes to the Mexican place by uh, Powerworks in uh, okay. she loves that place. That's cute. That's really amazing. <laughs> it's like authentic sort of Mexican. There's a great place right here too. Yeah, Tacos Luis right down the. Amazing. Yeah. So incredible the way we've got these uh, <laughs> phenomenons over here. Sibaris, um, that coffee shop. My dad always brings me coffee from there. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing place down by Aza Street. Super gourmet coffee. Mm-hmm. Like beautifully done. Um, the fact that you can get high quality everything over here is, is really special around Jerusalem. Um, I like walking around Makor Baruch. I don't do it so often at all, but there's something special about that. I like all the different shuls and the, the, the different communities, whether it's Aleppo community or Kurdish communities and uh, Hasidic and this and that. And there's like so many millions of little opportunities in Akhlaot to just experience new ideas and new stuff. And lastly, what would I say? Um, I like Inat Beersheva the little garden that's right outside my house uh very sweet and very special uh, pretty flowers and like quiet in the middle of Nakhla. there's no cars anywhere and 
Nakhlaot and Shabbat is also really cool because there's no cars in the whole area. They, mm-hmm. uh, they kind of block it off. So walking around there is really pleasant and peaceful feeling. Yeah. Nice. And so your, your whole family ended up moving here? My family was four of us, my wife and myself and two kids, and now we're, you know, a little bit bigger than that. So but you're, yeah. but you're, you're, you said your dad. So you're, you're yeah, my parents moved here like five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And your brother? And my brother moved here as well. My brother is currently, he moved back. He's living in Maine right now. Mm. Um, and yeah, we all moved to Nakhlaot. I barely leave Nakhlaot. I... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't like leaving Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, so I guess I mean, is there anything that you'd like to you know share with listeners? Close out on about yourself, about what you're working on. Um, <coughs> other than um, you know, sharing sharing the music and enjoying the music that I'm trying to create now, which is my passion and my 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 love and my occupation my occupation right now. Um, I think I shared it. Yeah, I think I shared it enough. And <laughs> if uh, yeah, it's really cool that you're that you're doing a podcast that's focused on building, building community, building awareness, building love for an appreciation of Jerusalem. Very, very, very special. Very honored to be here. Appreciate it. And, and how could people get in touch with you, uh, listen to your music, follow your work? Yeah, um, Bandcamp. Uh, you can always send me a message. That's the easiest. Yosef Bookman on Bandcamp. And, you know, my email's um, available. And anybody, you know, gjlevitt at gmail.com. Anybody can email me. And I'm always available. Uh, Soul Song Records just still doesn't have much of a uh, internet presence, but, you know, I'm working on that. Um, and yeah, Spotify and YouTube. I'm primarily excited about Bandcamp and sales of digital downloads. And the Bandcamp app is actually pretty cool for listening. It's just like a more uh, direct to fan platform where musicians can sell their music and build a community that isn't sort of interrupted by the interests of a third party DSP like Spotify or Tidal or, or Apple Music where mm-hmm. they really seek to own the uh, the relationship with the consumer. Um, and yeah, maybe some Jerusalem entrepreneurs will create a competitive to Bandcamp, <laughs> a nice platform where musicians can build community and sell their music to fans that also will include NFTs and all sorts of forward-thinking digital assets. There is a Jerusalem company that's doing that. Yeah. Revelator, you know about that? Yeah, Revelator. Revelator, sorry. Yeah, Bruno's company. It's really, really cool. It's amazing what he's doing. And uh, yeah, I think that it's not there yet, the NFT acceptance and adoption, but it it could really work beautifully for music. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, Bruno's amazing. Revelator is doing is very, very special. He's an incredibly brilliant visionary and um you've had him on the show i've not but i've, I've met him though okay cool yeah he's, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a very great guy yeah amazing cool well uh joseph really appreciate you coming here sure. um sharing your story sharing your vision it's really interesting really special um yeah thank you cool thank you all right cheers Thanks.